This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. Uh, just in case you missed it, my uh, programming announcement last week, that is, the Conspiracy Show is returning to the old format as of tonight. Uh, one guest per hour. It seems that uh, most of you uh, prefer the, the longer, more in-depth interviews. And I heard you loud and clear. So uh, we are uh, going back to the old format as of tonight. Uh, one holdover, however, from the, uh, the previous format. We're going to keep our weekly remote viewing experiment. Uh, what's in the box? And we'll get to that in, in just a moment. Uh, that's the other thing that I heard loud and clear is uh, that uh, most of you, and I received hundreds of, um, of emails and tweets and so forth. You wanted me to keep the remote viewing experiment, and so we'll do that. Uh, first hour tonight, Bill Burns is a great writer and is equally gifted in uh, storytelling on, on radio. I, just, I, can, I can listen to Bill Burns talk all night, and uh, we have him only for an hour. Uh, he's here to tell us about one of the great rivalries in history. Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison, two inventors who really straddle the 20th century like a colossus. Uh, most of us know about their uh, competing visions of uh, electricity. Uh, Tesla, of course, advocated for AC, alternating current, and Edison advocated for direct current. Uh, but both inventors were also working on another device simultaneously, a device that much of the public uh, was and remains unaware of, a device that would allow for communication with the spirit world. And Bill Burns has done really a masterful job in chronicling all this in a brand new book, Edison versus Tesla, The Battle Over Their Last Invention. And Bill will uh, share this remarkable story in just moments. A quick heads up, second hour, paranormal UFO, time traveler, shaman, psychic, interfaith minister. My word, she wears a lot of hats. First lady of guitar, 
No, just kidding. But she, she, she is all of those other things that I mentioned. Maria Dandria will join us to reveal how to connect with the subtle realm and have the divine intervention of angels improve the quality of your life. Uh, she can also reverse the evil eye and cast spells for creating a positive life. Now, the evil eye, this is something that I'm very uh, interested in, having married into the Greek culture, of course, the mighty Aphrodite, Greek. Um, and um, so I know all about the evil eye. Uh, and actually, the, 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 um, the, not too long ago, I guess it was this past spring, the mighty Aphrodite, my lovely bride, actually a guest hosted the program, and she talked about the evil eye. Uh, so now it's my turn. All right. First, uh, before we get to the, uh, the main course, let me introduce the boys in the band. Our fine rockabilly friend Ian Robertson, my technical producer, is off sick tonight. Uh, and we want to send our best wishes and prayers out to uh, Ian for a speedy recovery. In his stead on lead guitar, Nathan Davidson, Nathaniel Davidson. Uh, Nathaniel, welcome, and uh, thanks for stepping into the breach. Uh, on the Rickenbacker bass guitar, and occasionally the theremin, a story producer, and occasional remote viewer, Albert Vinzel is with us. And finally, on the Hammond B3, feature producer, Ryan White. Gents, thanks for all you do. Now, quickly, it's time for our weekly remote viewing experiment, What's in the Box? Remote viewers, please pay close attention. Here are your coordinates. The object is hidden from view in the cigar box to my left, here in studio at Zoomerplex, 70 Jefferson Avenue, in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. All right, now, don't guess. This is important. Allow the shape, size, texture, and color of the object to form in your mind. And remember, you must tweet your answers to me at Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T, at Richard Serrett, and you must use the hashtag TCS Remote to qualify. TCS, as in the conspiracy show, to qualify. And to the remote viewer or remote viewers who successfully suspends time and space and identifies the object in the cigar box, I have Volume 2, of my Strange Planet Collection on CD. Strange Planet Collection on CD, Volume 2. Again, send your answers to me at Richard Serrett. Use the hashtag TCS Remote. Good luck, and the big reveal comes just after the bottom of this hour. All right. Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison, two men who largely created the 20th century, were, were bitter rivals, one credited with developing al- alternating current, the other pushed for direct current. Uh, But both of these geniuses also shared a quest to talk with the dead. That's right. Both these giants were working on some type of spirit phone. Co-author of uh, Edison versus Tesla, The Battle Over Their Last Invention, uh, Bill Burns is a New York Times bestselling author, a magazine publisher, a New York literary publishing agent. He's written and edited over 25 books and encyclopedias in the fields of human behavior, true crime, current affairs, history, psychology, business, computing, and the paranormal. Bill Burns, welcome. How are you? Do we have Bill Burns there? Maybe one of you gentlemen could run in the other room and pull up the pot, because I think Bill is there, but he's not hearing me. All right. We have a little bit of a technical glitch. Bill, if you can hear me, I will be with you in one second. Albert is running into the other studio. Hey, this is live radio. you got to love it, folks. All right. Do we have Bill here? Can you hear me, Bill? All right. We're working on it. Albert's on the board. All right. No Bill Burns? Okay, Bill, just stay put. 
And are you there, Bill? Yes, I am. Okay. It's hey. You know what? If only we had a spirit phone, I could have reached you without uh, using wires and a Dixie cup and a string. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. And thanks for inviting me to the show. My pleasure. We should also mention uh, your co-author, Joel Martin. Yes, Joel uh, and I have written. Uh, this is our one, two, three, four, fifth book. Wow. All right. So he's like Lennon and McCartney. When you find somebody you like to work with, you stick with that person. That's true, and you just hope Yoko doesn't come around. (laughs) There's always a Yoko. Uh, So Tesla and Edison, I mean, they couldn't have been really more different, these two. You had, of course, Tesla, Serbian immigrant to the United States. Edison grew up in Ohio. His father, I understand, was a a Canadian. Um, He was kind of living in exile in the U.S., wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, uh, Edison's father was actually an illegal immigrant. Um, from Canada. Aha! All right. Now, um, tell us a little bit more about, uh, we don't have a lot of time to spend on this, but just give us kind of a, uh, a thumbnail sketch of each of these, these gentlemen, Edison uh, and, and Tesla, because as I say, very, very different. Well, they were both very different people to begin with, but um, Edison uh, realized at a very young age, or a very young age for an inventor, that you don't invent something that nobody wants. I mean, <laughs> that sounds kind of basic, but the first thing Edison put together, one of the first inventions Edison came up with was an electronic voting machine. Wow. And he tried to sell it to um, a bunch of political parties, a bunch of politicians. But the politicians wouldn't buy it because their answer was, why would you buy a machine to register votes that you couldn't change? So Edison <laughs> realized you've got to sell your inventions to the right audience. That brilliant, actually, when you think of it. Yeah, he, because he, he really blended a brilliant mind with a keen business sense. He invented, he invented modern technological marketing. So for all the great inventions from the, middle of the, from the beginning of the 20th century right through the 21st century, they all followed Edison's, um, Edison's model, which was find a market, define that market and the, and, and the consumers in that market, figure out what that market needs, then invent something and sell it into that market. So he's the guy who invented the modern motion picture industry, the modern telephone industry. Alexander Graham Bell invented the first telephone, but Edison perfected it. And he invented the modern recording industry. So the three biggest industries today all combined into your device in your pocket on a smartphone, thanks to Thomas Edison. Tesla was absolutely different. Tesla was a cutting-edge inventor. He believed that inventions should push the envelope of human experience. So he was looking at ways to distribute free power, the wireless transmission of radio waves, the wireless transmission of video, and the discovery, the search for the discovery of new radio frequencies that would capture the voices of the dead. But at the same time, he invented the modern municipal power grid based on alternating current, and he invented the modern transformer. So, as you say, very different. Edison was almost like, I guess, if he were alive today, he'd be like a Steve Jobs, 
Oh, yeah. I mean, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, they all take a page from Edison. Mark Zuckerberg, for example, started Facebook as a dating app for Harvard students. And it grew and grew, and people realized, wow, this was a real great way to meet other people and communicate with people wirelessly. Um, Steve Jobs reinvented the modern computer. Bill Gates, another fabulous story about being in college. In college, he realized that the language, the computer language, being taught by George Kemeny, basic, uh, could be a language anybody could use to program micro, uh, computers. Then when the Altair 4 computer came out, what Bill Gates did was he took, it was um, open source, copyright-free, that language, brought it to the Altair 4, and the, and, and the modern age of personal computing began. So all three people realized what the market was, they had an inspiration for what could satisfy the needs of that market, created that device, and that became Facebook, Microsoft, and Apple Computer. There you go. And Tesla, uh, God bless his soul, was uh, kind of ahead of the curve, but maybe over, you know too ahead of the curve for his own good in terms of at least certainly his financial security. Absolutely. Tesla tried to convince J.P. Morgan that wireless electricity, the wireless transmission of electric power, would be the golden age of the future. Free power for everyone. No longer having to pay for power. You just flip a switch and the power comes on. All right, Bill, i got to jump in here. We'll take a quick time out when we come back. We'll continue to delve into Nikola Tesla, Thomas Edison, and the battle of their final invention. Bill Burns stays with us for the hour. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Not My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. From Zuma Radio, AM 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. It is time to launch a new war against the evil of lies, deceit, and darkness all out to win the victory of truth and transparency and light. Sure, go ahead. Believe everything you see on television. Everything you read in the newspaper. Go ahead. Get your All right, welcome back. Bill Burns is uh, with us. We are talking Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison. Um, the, the whole battle between AC and DC. Uh, I mean... 
Edison was uh, was not above uh, playing some. I would I would call it some dirty pool, uh, in terms of trying to convince the public that uh, DC was the better way to go. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. Well, Edison was underhanded in the way he approached the whole uh, competition between AC and DC, and he was um, first of all Edison had invested heavily in direct current because he'd already built a power station. He'd built a power supply facility in New York State. So what he wasn't about to do is change everything just because Tesla came up with an idea for alternating current. But there was a real distinction between the two when it came to the amount of power along the supply lines. One of the things that Edison argued was that because alternating current had such a high power that if, for example, somebody touched a power line, the person would be immediately executed. Tesla's response, Tesla's, how his fix was that he invented the, the uh, transformer, and the transformer basically steps down the power from the supply line to the individual house so that the voltage is... It'll shock you, but it's safe. Right. But to prove his point, what Edison did was he arranged a demonstration. He went to New York State. His lab was in New Jersey, in uh, Menlo Park. He went to New York State, and he said, do you have a prisoner on death row that you're about to execute? And they said, yes, we do. And he says, well, the guy's name was Richard Kamler. He was a murderer. And Edison said... Let me build you an execution device. I'll do it for nothing, and it'll save you all the money. Well, the dev- it was a trick. The trick was that Edison was going to use full-power alternating current into a chair that would kill the person. And so he would demonstrate that alternating current was lethal. So Edison hired a, a construction expert actually build a chair, and then he wired it with direct alter- with alternating current, full-on alternating current. Now, Westinghouse, who had invested in Nikola Tesla's alternating current, protested. He said, you know, this is, this is false advertising because nobody's ever going to be touching a full-bore alternating current line, but Edison prevailed, and they built the chair. Now, this could have been a scene out of the Tom Hanks movie, Stephen King's Green Mile, right, right. where um, they sat the prisoner down, they strapped the prisoner in, they wired him up, they put that over his head, they put that cap over his head, and they threw the switch. And what happened was the prisoner started to burn. Smoke arose from the chair, but the prisoner didn't die. He was in convulsions, but he didn't die. Oh, dear. Then they did it again. Finally, the person's heart stopped. Well, the New York papers said the prisoner was Westinghoused. Oh, ho, ho, ho. And so that was how Edison tried to prove that alternating current was lethal. But Tesla got his revenge, because when it came time for the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago, Tesla bid to light the whole World's Fair for $1.1 million. Well, the people in Chicago said, we can't do that. That, That's outrageous. We can't spend that much money. Tesla said, fine, I'll cut the price in half. Edison said it. I'll cut the price in half. That was GE. And 
he thought that doing that would basically guarantee him the job, the contract. What he didn't know was that Tesla came in with a bid at 400000 He won the bid. So that was this real, almost violent anger from Edison to Tesla for outbidding him on the Chicago World's Fair. And, of course, it was a major success. It was the city of light. And that's how Tesla was able to show that alternating current was perfectly safe and brilliant. Sure enough, alternating current, which is what we use today, won out. Edison wasn't finished. By the the year 1920, this is after World War I, when the United States, yeah, was in mourning over the loss of an entire generation of young people. Just in mourning. People, families, wives who lost their husbands, parents lost their children, lost their sons. And Edison saw that market. He was fascinated by the new science of the period that we could talk about, but he saw a market, the market of the bereaved. And he thought, gee, if all this talk about quantum mechanics and uh, the fact that quantum mechanics have an attraction among them, uh, Einstein's spooky action at a distance, if that's true, then maybe these life units that make up human consciousness could be contacted after death. You don't need a Ouija board, you don't need tea leaves, you don't need a wrapping, wrappings on a table, you need a scientific device. And that scientific device is a pencil-thin, narrow light beam. And if I can just induce the consciousness of a recently deceased person to cross that light beam, that'll register on a meter. And if it registers on a light meter, and I can see that dial move, I'll know that there is consciousness after death. Didn't Edison, wasn't Edison also inspired by a near-death experience of his own? Right. That would come at the end of his life. That would come uh, around the year 1930. But this was a full five or so years, ten years before that. Right. But Edison, it sounds like, and based on what I'm reading from your book, that Edison wasn't wasn't a, a believer necessarily in the paranormal. He believed that all of this could be explained scientifically. Absolutely correct. Edison believed that there was that there was no such thing as the paranormal. There was only the normal that for uh, for which science we had not discovered yet, and that was Edison's quest. Edison's quest was to turn the paranormal into the normal by exploring it with science and proving that there was a science to what everybody was claiming was spirituality. That was his ultimate, that was one of his ultimate goals. And so that's exactly what he tried to do. So he built this device, but he had to make sure, he had no way of knowing if how to bring the consciousness of a dead person across that beam of light. That's why he hired mediums, clairvoyants, trance channelers to use their respective forms of kung fu to induce a clutch of electrons to cross that beam of light, get pinged by the photons in the beam of light, and prove that science can demonstrate that, there, that 
we do not die. The consciousness lives after the death of the body. Bill Burns is with us, and uh, he is the author of, or co-author of, Edison versus Tesla, the battle over their last invention. I'm trying to imagine if the the press or the uh, the board of directors or the shareholders at Apple, for example, got wind that Steve Jobs was seeing a psychic or was making decisions based on tarot card readings. I mean, was there blowback for Edison when or if word got out about his, his latest work? Absolutely true. What happened was there were stockholders in GM, in, I'm sorry, GE, there were uh, politicians even his own family. And worse, America was very much a puritanical country in 1920. And church groups and the 1920s version of the moral majority, remember what happened right after the war was that the um, church groups had successfully managed to prohibit the sales of alcohol in America. So you're dealing with America during the age of prohibition, when um, people were going into um, bars and going into distilleries and, and, and breaking open the barrels and pouring out the liquor in the street. This was that time. And so people began writing to Edison, accusing him of communicating with the spirits, communicating with demons. They accused him of being a demonologist. Stockholders in GM wrote to the board saying, what are you allowing this man to do? He's, he's actually destroying the value of my stock. He's destroying the value of the company. And so the board turned on Edison, and Edison's family said, what are you doing? What are you experimenting like this for? Don't you see the reaction in public? So the experiment ended because of popular resistance to the idea of talking to the dead. They thought Edison was somehow satanic when he was doing that. Didn't they, didn't they uh, all mentions of his work, wasn't that expunged from his journals and so forth as well? Yes. Edison wrote um, a very lengthy chapter on life units and communicating with the dead and the whole nature of life and extraterrestrials as well. How human beings were formed from floating life units across the galaxy that, uh, that came to Earth. He argued that rocks were alive, that dirt and soil was alive, that everything was composed of life units. We couldn't understand some of those life units, but everything was alive. Well, the family was so frightened by what Edison was writing. Were these the delusions of a 70-year-old man? What was going on here? So what they did was they expunged, they cut those chapters out of his journal. Well, one of the things that happened was a very early version of that journal with that chapter included was published in France. And a number of people in France retranslated that back into English, and it made its way back into the United States. But that is called the Lost Journal of Thomas Edison, and it's available now. Anybody can read it. And, and how about, uh, we're heading into a break in a few minutes, but uh, and, and, and conversely, Tesla was a, was a big believer in the paranormal, was he not? Oh, absolutely. 
absolutely. Tesla believed that ideas would come to him in dreams. He believed in dream visitations and dream visions. He believed that in uh, uh, that inspiration could be um, psychically received, and so as a result, he made him, he was an early believer in what today we call remote viewing, and he believed that uh, there were extraterrestrials that communicated with us. In fact, even a hundred years before C-SETI, the search for extraterrestrials, Tesla did that with his radio frequencies, sending out these bizarre, these, these, uh, these um, odd radio frequencies out into space with messages to alien worlds saying, communicate with us. Wow. Uh, I wasn't aware of that. Again, so so ahead of his time, but again, too ahead of the curve for his own good. Uh, and so what did Tesla's device, I mean, uh, did he, I mean, he, he wasn't a great note taker, was he, Tesla? He did write in his journals, and he dictated his journals for sure. And he wrote, um, actually, he wrote very copious plans and very copious huh. notes. In fact, one of the most, um, among his famous notes his when when he died and he died penniless in the New Yorker Hotel in mm-hmm. 1943, roughly about uh, 13 years after Edison, 12 years after Edison, and when he died, the FBI broke into his hotel room and they took all of his notes and they sent all of his notes to the Office of Alien Properties. And after the war, in 19, uh, actually in 1946, um, the country of the new country of Yugoslavia that was now run by Marshal Tito demanded from the Office of Alien Properties all of Tesla's notes because they were going to do the Nikola Tesla Museum in Belgrade, and all of his notes were sent to Yugoslavia for that museum except for one set of notes and those were tesla's notes on anti-gravity yes yes and where those notes eventually went those notes went to nathan twining at right field nathan twining general nathan twining was the head of the air materiel command at right field in ohio and he was the officer who received the debris from the ufo crash at roswell There you go. Bingo. All right, Bill, stay put. We'll come back. The uh, big reveal on our weekly remote viewing experiment is uh, just ahead, and then we'll continue our conversation with Bill Burns, co-author of Edison versus Tesla, the battle over their last invention. Stay with us on The Conspiracy Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. 740. Welcome back. Bill Burns is with us, the co-author of a brand new book, Edison versus Tesla, The Battle Over Their Last Invention. 
They were both desperately seeking a way to communicate with the dead. Spirit phones, dial a ghost, however you want to put it. We'll get back to our conversation with Bill in just a moment. It's time for the uh, result of the big reveal of our uh, weekly remote viewing experiment called What's in the Box? And uh, let me go over to Ryan here and and, uh, and find out what people on the Twitter feed are um, are saying, What the, the remote viewers out there. Some great views tonight. Drew sees several nuts and acorn and almond. Alan sees a spool of red thread. A YY sees maybe some fruit or maybe some white and black bars like piano keys or a barcode. Uh, John sees a printed circuit card. Kyle sees a poker chip. Morgan sees a wooden spoon. Daniel sees a DVD. And James sees a cross necklace. Interesting. All right. Who, the last one, his name was? James. James sees a cross necklace. Well, uh... There is a cross involved, but I don't know if we can. Uh, we have a, a king chess piece. Can you see that there on the uh, the YouTube feed? There, a king chess piece. There is a cross on the chess piece. What do you think, gentlemen? A cross. It's, there it's, is a cross. It's I think, decent. I think you know what. I think we have to uh, award James. We're going to send James a uh, volume two of a strange planet. That's a collection of my weekly feature. And uh, we'll get that out to James. If uh, he could contact us uh, through the website and uh, send us his address, we'll get that in the mail very quickly. All right. Thank you all for playing. And uh, we'll uh, pick up the remote viewing experiment uh, not next week but the following week. All right. Back to Bill Burns. Uh, Bill, we were, we were talking about uh, how the FBI and the Office of, uh, uh, of Alien Properties swept in. Uh, very quickly after Tesla died at the New Yorker back in 43. I just want to step back. This is a short segment, and we'll circle back to that. But I want to just – I was I can't help thinking how history would have been different, how the world uh, would have been different uh, had Tesla and, and um, Edison not had that silly feud. Uh, imagine these two working together, cooperating, and uh, instead – what was it? It was kind of a joke or a bet, and Tesla just walked out, and and uh, they never they never collaborated again. What was the source of that feud? Well, the backstory is that uh, Tesla was working in Europe at the time, and Edison was the inventor of his age. This was late 19th century. Edison was the inventor of the age, and it was Tesla's dream to work with Edison, because Tesla had conceived, and, and here was the of a difference. Tesla conceived of a device where instead of having just a simple a, a turbine-like electric motor that would generate electricity, he thought that if you could swing that um, the pole between positive and negative alternatively, that's like um, walking up a hill. If you're walking along a flat surface, along the flat pavement, you're going to exert a certain amount of energy. But if you're walking up a hill, you have to exert that much more energy to get to the top. And that's the premise that defines alternating current from direct current. Because there's so much more power that's built up by swinging that the, uh, uh, that pole between the positive and the negative, you're building up more and more power. And that drives the current further, and it drives it at a much higher power. That's called potential. What he tried to convince Edison of when he came to the United States specifically to work for Edison was that he would get, it would be more cost efficient 
to have greater potential generated by your generating motors than it would with direct current. Edison thought he was a fool and said, that's, that's so dangerous, you're going to electrocute people. I don't want to be sued for electrocuting people. What are you, crazy? So that was the basis of their dispute. But Tesla kept on working for him. And then one day, it was late in the week, Edison approached Tesla and said, look, one of my power generators over on Pearl Street is, is failing. I need you to fix it, but it's, it, it's vital that you fix it, vital. If you can fix it so that by Monday morning it's up and running, I'm going to sign a check and I'll let you fill in the zeros. Well, Tesla was enthusiastic. He stayed up for 48 straight hours working on that generator. And he fixed it. And when he said, to Mr. Edison, Maestro, I've I, I fixed it. Can I have my check now? And Edison burst out laughing and said, you thought I was serious? I was kidding. Oh, dear. Tesla oh, quit dear. on the spot. Edison thought it was a joke. And Tesla took him seriously. Well, either he thought it was a joke then, after the generators were fixed, or he didn't think it was a joke when the generators were broken. Remember the old story of the doctor and his patient. Patient goes into a doctor's office and is screaming, Doctor, doctor, there's a bone stuck in my throat, a chicken boat, I'm dying. And the, doctor sa and the doctor said, well, I'll do what I can. And he says, doctor, I'll pay you anything you want if you can just take it out. Well, the doctor takes it out. And he says, I'd like my payment now. And the guy says, you thought that I was serious? <laughs> there you go. Imagine, though, had uh, a Tesla uh, continued to work with Edison. I can't imagine how, with, with Edison's business sense and, and Tesla's just sheer vision, the world would be rem as remarkable as it, as it is because of those two gentlemen. I can't even imagine what, what uh, the world would look like today. We'll come back and uh, continue on with Bill Burns, co-author of Edison versus Tesla, the battle over their last invention. Right here on The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To get the truth, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. All right, welcome back. Bill Burns stays with us, co-author of Edison versus Tesla, the battle over their last invention. And um, what was what was a Tesla's uh, version of of the Spirit f uh, phone? Did it did it differ wildly from Edison's? Oh yes. What Tesla believed, and this is the this is the the early twentieth century version of EVP. What Tesla believed, and it's also the early version, uh, the early 20th century, uh, 20th century version of C-SETI, what, what Tesla believed is that we were awash in different radio frequencies. 
Now remember, if you remember the old Superman comics, when Superman had to um, capture light waves from the past or capture sound waves from the past, he'd fly into space way outside of Earth and then turn on his super hearing or his supervision, and he would see light waves coming from Earth, and then he would actually see into the past, just like we do when we see a distant star system. Right. We're actually seeing into the past. Well, the same thing with sound, which we actually know about because um, when two black holes collided 1.3 billion years ago, those gravitational waves just crossed the planet Earth. That's exactly what Tesla believed, and that proved his theory correct, that waves were eternal. And his, his thought was that if we could only capture the right frequency, we could listen to the voices of the dead. Ah, that's but a distinction there. He, was he not talking then about... Uh, so in other words, there would be... Uh, waves of every every voice, every voice ever uttered, uttered throughout history, but those voices wouldn't have consciousness, would they? They would just be echoes from the past. Yes, that's exactly true. They'd be echoes from the past. That's exactly what he believed. So that would negate two-way communication. Right. But at least he thought he would prove, because Tesla's version was, could we prove there's life on after death? But then he thought... What if we could transmit on the same frequency we were receiving? Ah. We could do that. Would they respond to us? In other words, was the consciousness still active, or was it simply free-floating? And that's why he was trying to ping the voices of the dead to see if he could transmit a message on that frequency, whether they would respond. Now, Tesla didn't have to worry about a board of directors and nervous shareholders, so I'm guessing he was far more uh, open about this research than Edison was. Did he write more about it? Do we have a better idea of what his device might have looked like? Yes, we do, because he wrote about it in his journals. And here's the fascinating part about it. <clears throat> Tesla had people spying on Edison, and Edison had people spying on Tesla. So as they both tried to develop their respective inventions for talking to the dead, they were each spying on each other to keep track of one another's progress. Wow. And did, um, did Tesla, uh, did he get any closer to actually building, because uh, as you pointed out, Edison had to sort of give it up, uh, this research, but did Tesla actually attempt to build a, a prototype, or was it simply theoretical on paper? No, no. Tesla did attempt. Tesla did attempt to build a prototype, and here's, <clears throat> and here's what's so fascinating about that. Where Edison ran into problems because he was accused of being demonic in his desire to talk to the dead. Where Tesla would run into trouble was he would run out of money. I mean, the problem was that Tesla actually managed to burn, talk about burn rate for new um, uh, proofs of concept. Tesla was running out of money at a phenomenal rate. Right. He, would, he would line up investments from J.P. Morgan, from uh, George Westinghouse, from other investors. But the problem was that he would spend money wildly, and he'd run out, and he'd go back to them for more money, and quite frankly, 
they would simply they would say, look, the well is dry. I've spent what I could spend. Show me the invention. Show me what you have. Show me how it's going to make money. That's exactly what um, Chase. Uh, that's exactly what J.P. Morgan once said to Tesla. He said, I don't understand this business of wireless transmission of power. How am I going to make money if I give it away for free? Exactly. You can't meter it. Will I invest? That's right. So he pulled the funding. He basically shut it down and said, it's a great idea. I can't see where you make money. But but the back to the, the, the prototype of Tesla's spirit phone. I mean, what would it have looked like? Well, <clears throat> Tesla's... Uh, it would have been a radio. I mean, it's basically you're looking at what um, Tesla built uh, out on the edge of Long Island, that big radio antenna. Right. Uh, and he would try to find the right frequency for listening to voices of the dead. And, in fact, he actually managed to build that tower. He actually managed to build a tower in Colorado Springs, and he actually managed to build a tower all the way out on the edge of Long Island. The, uh, the, the problem was that, A, the neighbors complained, <laughs> and, B, so. the Army complained, because they believed, this is at the very outset of World War I, that they believed that the enemy, the, uh, the Germans, would use that tower for their own transmissions. So they just knocked it down. Ah. I'm wondering if Tesla's theories, or Edison's theories... Uh, for this spirit phone, whether they were used in the creation of uh, what's called Frank's box. This is another device to, to communicate with, with the dead. Supposedly, I would allow for two-way conversation. Do you know much about uh, Frank's box and whether they borrowed from Edison and Tesla? Well, everybody borrowed from Edison and Tesla. But, but, uh, but Frank's box was more of a, a radio frequency device than it was... Edison's um, using light to ping electrons. Um, the thing about Tesla was that everybody, everybody tried to build off Tesla. I mean, for example, take, take radio transmission. Marconi might have been the first person to, um, I mean, there was a race between Tesla and Marconi to be the first person to transmit radio waves to transmit ra uh, waves uh, uh, wirelessly. Right. Now, the Supreme Court, uh, at the outset of World War II, Marconi held the patent. And it's funny because the person who had worked with Marconi was uh, the founder of the national broadcasting company, uh, Robert Sarnoff. That's right. He, was, he had worked with Marconi. And that blossomed, and this is how this works, that blossomed into the um, National Broadcasting Network, which was a radio network. Eventually, that, became, that was bought by General Electric, and that was founded by Edison. Now, Tesla disputed Marconi's patent. He said he was the first one to transmit radio waves. Finally, at the beginning of World War II, Marconi, who, who was a fascist, he supported Mussolini, wanted to charge the United States for patent infringement for using radio transmissions and not paying Marconi for the use of that patent. The United States took Marconi to court, and the Supreme Court ruled 
that Marconi would lose his patent. They didn't grant it to Tesla, but they ruled Marconi would lose that patent. Hence, Marconi, according to the Supreme Court, was not the inventor of radio. Now, we could decide who the inventor of radio was. Was it Marconi? Was it Tesla? Or was it a Canadian, Bill, Reginald Fessenden? That's exactly right. He was the other person involved in that patent who claimed he was the first to do wireless transmissions. And, and Tesla was probably also on the leading edge in terms of television you know, before the, uh, the Russian inventor, whose name escapes me. Uh, but, but Tesla also was, was probably responsible uh, for television, ultimately, wasn't he? He was. Tesla, in his journals, wrote... And, and he made that speech before the um, Engineering Professional Society. He said, if you could transmit voices via radio waves, why couldn't you transmit images, video images, via radio waves? So he conceived of television transmission before anybody else. He didn't invent it, but he conceived of it. And in fact, in there's, a, there's this um, wonderful um, a comedy from the 1920s called Skidding. It was written by um, um, Oriana Ruverol. And in the play, this is the beginning of the Andy Hardy series that was made into all those Mickey Rooney movies in the 1930s and 40s. Right. In, in the play, Judge Hardy's father, this is in 1926, when it was on Broadway, the... Um, the uh, Judge Hardy's father says he's going to go watch television. This is in 1926. Wow. Holy smokes. Uh, you know, we just have a couple minutes left here. I just want to ask you, and I get this question a lot from, from people. Uh, in fact, my own mighty Aphrodite asked me tonight before I left for the radio station, why is it we're only hearing about Tesla now? Uh, you know, uh, his, his name is not mentioned in any of the textbooks uh, at least certainly when I went through school, and I'm guessing it's probably the same today. Why has he really been uh, sort of shut out of, of, of academia in terms of, uh, you know, people, what, what people learn in school? Well, people uh, know about alternating current, but the fact is that because Tesla was so far out on the fringe that he really, that uh, the Tesla, until I would say the 1950s and 60s, has really been excised from scientific history. He's always been seen as somehow paranormal. He was talking to aliens. He believed that, I mean, among the things that Tesla believed, and, and also his devices run counter to capitalism. For example, here's what he believed. Rather than have municipal power grids, why not have every house equipped with a series of mirrors that would capture the sunlight and amplify the sunlight to boil water. Well, if you boil water, that would turn a generator. If you're turning a generator, that would create electric, uh, electric power. So every house would have its own electric power. But that's what's being advertised today using solar cells and solar batteries. Exactly. Even the idea of simply decentralizing a power grid. Uh, you know, with all this talk of, of North Korea and an EMP explosion uh, and, and knocking out power grids, and you know, it, it's pretty dire uh, if that were to happen. If exactly. We had... I mean, about, uh, about eight years ago, 
maybe, yeah, eight years ago, um, Bill Scott, Mike Kamados, and I, Bill Scott worked for the NSA. He was in the Air Force. Mike Kamados was a naval commodore. The three of us wrote this book about what would, it's called Space Wars, and the sequel was Counter Space, and it was what would happen if, in fact, the North Koreans detonated a nuclear device in near-Earth orbit to knock out all of our satellites. Bill, you're uh, looking into a crystal ball. That's what would happen. We would be blind. And then in the book, of course, China takes advantage of that by launching a nuclear attack on the United States fleet. Bill, it's like you use Tesla's spirit phone and you, uh, you communicated with uh, the future or something. Remarkable. Bill, congratulations uh, to you and your co-author on uh, Tes- uh, Edison versus Tesla, the battle, o- battle over their last invention. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Why, well, I thank you. Thanks very much. Bill Burns. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. When we come back, psychic, shaman, UFO, time traveler. She's all that and more. She'll tell us how to battle the evil eye, communicate with angels, travel outside of our bodies. Maria Dandria, next on The Conspiracy Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. A special hello to all of you listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, here in Toronto, AM 740, 96.7 FM. Uh, Of course, welcome to all of you listening in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. And uh, hey, to all of you uh, catching the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn.com, TalkZone.com, those of you, of course, who take the show with you on your mobile device with the Conspiracy Show app and the Zoomer Radio app, both free downloads. Uh, Those of you watching the live stream on uh, YouTube and uh, participating in the YouTube live chat, uh, incidentally, please visit the uh, the YouTube channel, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett, and hit that subscribe button. We've we've set a modest goal of 10,000 subs by the end of 2017, and we're closing in, I believe, on uh, 6,000. So we're getting there. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Uh, let me um, remind you, coming up next week on the program, we're going to talk uh, Ty Cobb. Uh, Ty Cobb, as it turns out, was not the monster he's been betrayed uh, as uh, throughout history, really, since his death in 1961. 
Uh, talk about uh, a modern example of fake news. Well, that's it. And um, the former publisher, uh, sorry, the former editor of Sports Illustrated and People and Us Weekly uh, will be here to talk about uh, Ty Cobb. And uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley will also join us. Uh, we'll do the entire second hour of the show on werewolves. All right. Uh, let me just remind you, Nathaniel is here. Ian is off sick tonight. Uh, the mysterious Albert Vinzel is here. Ryan is here. And uh, let's get to uh, shaman, psychic, UFO experiencer, time traveler, Maria Dondria. Maria is an internationally known professional psychic from Budapest, Hungary. Since early childhood, she's demonstrated high spiritual awareness and psychic ability. Over her lifetime and as a spiritual leader, she's provided psychic guidance and enlightenment to many people, assisting them on their own personal path of spiritual self-discovery. She's known for a unique form of divination called rune casting. This method was used by Vikings and Europeans to unlock information about the past, present, and future by tapping into the universal mind. Now, she's the author of 100% Positive Spells and Incantations for Aladdin's Magic Lamp, Angel Spells, the Enochian Occult Workbook of Charms, Seals, Talismans, and Ciphers, Miracle Candle Spells with Candle-Burning Prayers for a Good and Prosperous Life. Maria, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Oh, wonderful. And thank you so much for having me on the show. I love your show. Ah, my <laughs> pleasure. Thank you. I want to ask you, uh, first of all, because I mentioned uh, earlier in the program that I married into the Greek culture. My wife is second-generation Greek, My, uh, and, of course, her family. Um, they're all well-versed in the idea of an evil eye. And this seems to be kind of a, a, something that is prominent in Mediterranean cultures. Um, now, do you... Do you have a sure-fired way of 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 warding off uh, an evil eye, or do you have to do you have to be sort of do you have to fall under that curse first, and then you remedy it? No, actually, there are always ways to avoid to prevent. You know, we're always trying to fix things ahead of time. <laughs> That's the best Lots way. Of by the way, but there are some methods that people can use. Uh, one of them, of course, is psychic self-defense, which is a technique that you learn. However, if you carry, there's a stone called the tiger eye. It's a brown stone with little veins in it, gold veins. And if you carry that, it's actually considered a boomerang. So not only does it protect you, if somebody is sending negative energy to you, it sends it back to them. Now, we never do anything negative. I truly believe whatever you put out comes back. So even if you look at any of my books, there's nothing ever negative in them because I really live by that. However, for them not to get anything negative back, all they have to do is stop sending it to you. Right, right. <laughs> and as long as you carry a gemstone within three feet of your body, okay, it will always work for you. So you can wear it as jewelry, you can throw it in your pocket, in your wallet. As long as it's not farther than three feet away, it's like a magnet. So it really does work for you. But that's one of the easiest ways to prevent it. Right. Now, in, in the Greek culture, there, there's kind of it's a blue it's a blue stone or a blue eye. I forget what they call it. My wife is going to murder me when I get home. I should know this. But, <laughs> uh, so the idea is, is this is to ward it off. But my understanding is that the evil eye, sometimes the person who is sort of cursing you with the evil eye, they're not aware of it. They may actually be complimenting you. And this is why in the Greek culture, when someone gives you a, comp- a compliment, they, you sort of spit three times. You go, tu, tu, tu. Uh, and are you familiar with that? 
Yes. So is that true that, that, that the person who is giving you the evil eye may not even, they may not have ill intent themselves? They may not be aware of that. Well, a lot of times we tend to look at it because, you know, I'm from Hungary. And in Europe, we tend to look at it more on the level that uh, they may not wish you well on a subconscious level. You know, you have people that are jealous. That doesn't mean they're consciously focused on sending you negative. But it's a little bit like fallout, for lack of a better term. Right. So even if they're telling you something positive and, you know, on some level they sort of mean it, but if you have that undercurrent where they're really jealous, they wish that they were doing better than you, you know, on a positive level, as an example, say I have a friend that won a million dollars, which would be wonderful, right? Sure. You know, I would look at it as I think that's great and I'm really happy for them. I might wish that I would also have them, but not instead of them. So if somebody's focused more on they'd rather have something instead of the other person, inadvertently they're sending negative energy. Sure, that's true. Yes, that's mm-hmm. the uh, the green eye of envy. <laughs> that's a different. Yes, that's a different know. evil eye. That's a green eye. Maria Dondra <laughs> is with us, uh, and she's um, the author of a number of books, including One Hundred Percent Positive Spells from Incantations for Aladdin's Magic Lamp. I want to talk to you about an experience you had. I'm not sure when this happened in your life's journey, but you ha- you are a, a UFO experiencer, and you have. Uh, were you were you taken aboard crafts, or was this more of a, a kind of a, a, a dream state encounter or a telepathic encounter, physically aboard a, a, a craft? No, it's more. I work more on the astral plane and telepathically. All right. So I, uh, you know, I deal with a lot of different realms because, well, first of all, I've been doing this all my life, and even though I do psychic readings and lectures and all that, you know, I speak on the spiritual, psychic, and the paranormal. So basically, I'm an occultist. And, you know, people always misunderstand that word. Occultist means ancient wisdom, hidden knowledge. It isn't positive or negative. It just means we understand the laws of nature to work with them. We're positive or negative. I tend to look at it as uh, if you're having rain and there's a farm that has a drought, then it's positive. And if, say, I have a neighbor and they're building the ark, not so much. (laughs) The rain is still neutral. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) So I tend to work more on interdimensionally on the astral plane, which means it's more of an out-of-body experience. And then we connect to different realms, but we consciously go out of body, you know, well, some of us. All right. <laughs> so these, your uh, alien encounters, uh, tell me about yeah. that. What did, they, what did they look like? Well, I find this one experience that I had, and sometimes it's a little difficult to explain because I've had a couple, but one of the experiences I had was uh, I was out of body, and the first time that actually happened to me where I encountered anything, uh, I really didn't know what they were. So I felt like I was in a room where you can you don't really feel the walls or a floor or a ceiling, but you know that you're in a definite space. And at a distance in front of me, I saw a row of beings walking, and for lack of a better term, and they looked like monks. You know, when you think of the monks with the hoods and the cloaks, they actually looked like that. Right, right. And I was very curious, and I wanted to get closer. And I find, by the way, that whatever distance anything is from you on the spiritual realm, it's not really going to change unless they want they want you to have a, a different experience. So when I was getting closer, you feel, it's more telepathic, but you feel kind of a warning not to get closer. Of course, being who I am, 
I wanted to get closer. Some people would have gone, no, stop. <laughs> but I wanted to get closer. And uh, the experience I had was that all of a sudden, I didn't know who I was because I got closer. I should have heeded the warning, but no. <laughs> and I really didn't know who I was, what I was. And it occurred to me, well, okay, if I look down at my body, I'll have a better idea at least of my gender or who I am. And I looked down and there was like nothing there. I had no idea at all who I was. And it just snapped me right back out of it. So it brought me out of the astral plane. Hmm. So, really so they didn't mean you know. they didn't mean you harm. They were they were cautioning no, you. No, they were no, they just didn't want me closer. It didn't hurt me. But um since it was my first experience, it took me a while to go back out there because part of me was going, hmm, well, let me think about this. <laughs> right, right. And you had another experience with w- what you believe were extraterrestrials or interdimensionals, and these were, you described them as being somewhat taller than the average human, but they, they had kind of a leathery skin. Yeah, and they were really, for lack of a better term, they looked like they were made of white light. Okay. So you could see through them a little bit, but they were very brilliant. So they were made out of white light, and what I kept feeling, and it was more telepathic, what I kept feeling was they really want to help humanity to awaken. And the word I was getting frequently was awaken, because they're trying to help us elevate ourselves. Now, really, sometimes when you see um, different dimensional beings, sometimes they're negative, sometimes they're positive. But these were beings where they really genuinely wanted to help, but they were extremely, extremely tall. I don't know how else to describe that. And... It just had such a strong feeling of love and warmth and caring. There really isn't a way to explain that. It's a little bit like, you know, when you kind of go into a warm bathtub, you know, and the water's warm and comfy and, you know, it's that kind of feeling except it felt like love. I I don't know how else to actually explain that. Right, Um, right. it's, It's funny sometimes we see colors and things that when we come back, it's not that we don't want to explain it to people. We just don't have words for them. <laughs> you no, know, I, I, I totally understand that. Absolutely. Uh, you know? So why, after those experiences, were you left with the impression that these were aliens or extraterrestrials? Couldn't they have been from the angelic realm? Couldn't they have been angels? Well, actually, no. <laughs> Now, I've dealt with angelic beings, by the way, and it has a different vibrational feel. But part of it is when you're looking at them, they actually look like different beings. They're not built like us or made the same way. But, you know, universally, everything is energy. So depending on their form, everything is still energy, just like us in the universe. But it was a very definite feeling that they were beings as opposed to light beings, say, on the angelic level. Um, When you're dealing with somebody on the angelic level, it's so overpowering, and you know immediately that that's what they are. And really, they're just very ancient beings, you know, on the angelic level. Right. So it's a different feel. Sometimes they just aren't words to really explain it. It's more, uh, as an example, if you're doing a psychic reading, sometimes you just know. There's no other way to explain it. And I truly believe that everybody has uh, intuition on some level. We'll get to that, Maria. We'll take a time out. We'll come back and continue our conversation with internationally known professional psychic and the author of 100% Positive Spells and Incantations for Aladdin's Magic Lamp. 
Maria D'Andrea is with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Maria Dandria is here. She's a, a shaman, a psychic, a UFO experiencer, and uh, the author of a number of books, including 100% Positive Spells and Incantations for Aladdin's Magic Lamp. My producer, Albert, had a great question. I don't want to get political here at all, but, um, you know, there have been, there's been talk ever since President Trump was elected that there are these uh, there are witches that have been casting um, uh, spells you know, to try and disrupt his his agenda and so forth. And again, I don't want to get political, but um, some people have gone so far as to suggest that these uh, these spells that are being cast, um, just I guess collateral damage wise, they may be responsible for some of the strange weather we've been having and earthquakes. Do you put any credence in that? Actually, no. <laughs> that answers that. All right, that was neat and tidy. I, I mean, I do realize that, you know, there are, of course, people working on the negative side, just like we're working on the positive. So there, there are different um, cults, for lack of a better way to say that, and different groups that are working towards a negative end. However, you have pretty much just about the same balance on the positive side. So... Uh, between the two, it, it kind of neutralizes each other up to a point. Ah, all right. You know, but you do have both working on that. It depends on their approach. Right. I personally, and this is just my personal opinion, but I always feel that light outshines the dark, literally. <laughs> oh, 100%. I agree with that. Uh, the good guys always win in the end. It may take... You know, it may take a long, long time. Right. Sometimes exactly. the wheels of the of the uh, of cosmic justice turn slow, <laughs> but uh, the good guys always win. Uh, I want to talk to you. I want to ask you about rune casting um, because this I've not heard of uh, this form of divination before. I mean, I'm familiar with runes from, uh, you know, from the Vikings and so forth. Uh, right. But I wasn't aware that the Vikings used runes. I thought it was just the written language. I didn't realize they used them to try and divine the future and and the and and um, the past and so forth. Tell me about rune casting. Well, first of all, it's dominant more in Europe. You know, uh, Germany, Romania, in Greece. You know, Hungary, Scandinavian countries. And I'm a shaman through Hungary, but I'm also connected to some of the tribes. Um, in New York and the Tuscarora tribe, and some of the caves in America actually have runes. Most people just aren't aware of them. That's right, because and the Vikings were here. They landed in, in uh, Newfoundland, Labrador, you know, right. 500 years, at least 500 years before Columbus. Oh, yeah. So uh, they really are runes, or they're universal. And originally, it was meant as uh, an occult form, which means they were using that for spells to manifest, to get rid of negative things, for protection. That's where it originated. Mm -hmm. After that, they started using that uh, for psychic information, for divination, to find out, as an example, with tribe. Uh, Should they go to war? Should they not go to war? What direction should they go in? You know, something um, 
should say to you, do not walk towards the swamp. <laughs> right, right. Or the quicksand. So they started leaving messages on trees, on stones, and eventually it turned into a language. It's actually the base of the Germanic alphabet. Ah, okay. Yeah. But we use it more for divination. Right. <laughs> and how do, you, how do you use it? How does it work? Well, it's actually a trigger. So we do have specific layouts that we use many times that connects it to the elements, earth, air, fire, and water. So it's a little bit more complicated than people think, but it's really a trigger. All psychic forms, all tools, are really meant just as a trigger to the divine, to your source, whatever your source happens to be. It's like, uh, even though I'm a shaman, I'm an interfaith minister, so I'm Christian-based. However, we look at it as there's one source. We don't really care what path you take to get there or what you call the source. It's the same thing. Right, right. So uh, this just tunes you in more to direct information. So it's a little bit like having a direct link. And I like to teach people, that's why I write the books, I like to teach people how to do things for themselves. Because I really feel the more you can do for yourself, the better the world gets. It's that domino effect. If you can do things for yourself, you can help others, they can help other people. And it gets passed on a little bit more along that line. But... Uh, I really feel that I only teach positive because, as we were saying before, you know, it really does come back, and that's really your strongest force is positive and love energy. Excellent. I, I want to do. I want to come back to to positive spells a little bit later, but I do want to ask you about astral travel and out of body yeah. experiences. Um, you know, mm-hmm. some some people it happens during a, a near death experience. They're suddenly out of their body. They're hovering above and looking down on their body, maybe as it's being resuscitated. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they come back into their body, uh, but it's not—it's it's not a conscious thing. Uh, in fact, you know, it's, it can be—I'm sure it's incredibly uh, frightening when it happens for the first time. But but mm-hmm. the ability to do it at will—I um, mean, I would think it would take yogis, for example, you know, decades and decades and decades to learn something about that. Is that something you can teach people to astral travel? Oh, definitely. Is that the same as an out-of-body experience? Oh, yeah, you can teach that. Uh, A lot of it comes down to if you know the right technique, okay, there are so many things that people can do that they're really not aware of because it sounds complicated. And a lot of it isn't. Now, honestly, for me to teach people how to go out of body, which is easier than they think, because like I said, it's a technique. However, what I normally don't explain is it took me 15 years of goof-ups to find a technique I can teach in two hours or a day. <laughs> Fifteen years of goof-ups. When you're talking about out-of-body experiences, I mean, yeah, isn't that kind of... you know, to control it. Yes. So, so now, I can control it for myself, but to teach it, you never teach anything that you can't control 100%. Sure. Because if somebody gets in trouble when they're doing it, you, won't, you need to be able to do that to help them. And if they have a question about something they run across, you know, you have to be able to know what they ran across and how to explain it and tell them how to, you know, um, deal with it. That's why I find anything I teach and I suggest it in my books and, you know, classes, I always tell people before they do anything psychic, uh, paranormal, you know, occult, I always suggest they use some form of psychic self-defense. It doesn't have to be my form, but it has to be some form because when you're dealing with anything in a different realm, Okay. It can be very dangerous. 
So it can be positive, but it's a little bit as though you're looking at electricity. Right. right? So you don't see electricity, but you don't put your hand in the socket. <laughs> exactly. Now, can you give? Can you can it walk us through some of the techniques that you use uh, to to obtain uh, an out of body or astral travel? Well, I can't really go through the techniques honestly because if I'm not dealing directly with somebody, they can get hurt. Ah. Okay. You know, well, what what is the but, overall principle though that that, that you, you use to, to achieve an out of body experience? Can you talk generally about it? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, I believe that everybody does that in their dream state. So I feel that it is natural to us as human beings. The only difference is some of us control it, and as you said, some of us don't because they go through different experiences that triggers that. A trauma, like a trauma. Right. Exactly. Uh, however, I feel that, and a lot of that is just to give you direction or as an example, if you're in a lot of pain, sometimes you might disconnect from your physical body and go out of body because you can't deal with the pain and it gives you an escape Sure. until you can handle it better. Makes sense. So some of it, I think, is really a survival instinct. So I really believe we all have it. And a lot of it is just training your um, spirit body, your astral body to listen to you and to control what direction and where you want to go and how you want to go it go. And some of it that people don't realize is actually uh, time travel. Because when you're out of body, you're not limited to time and space because as human beings, we create time and space. Because if we have to go to an appointment, if we have to meet a friend down the block at 3 o'clock, we need to have a time to be able to do that. So on the astral, you don't have those limitations. So you can go back and forth in time. You're not going to affect time, but you can see things. That's what that's what we call remote viewing, right? That's suspending time and space. That's remote viewing. Yeah, that's remote viewing also. When you leave your body, uh, when you have an out of body experience, and your spirit, your astral body, or your spirit body uh, is leaving your physical body. is there a, a silver cord that connects the, the, the spirit body to the physical body, or is that just a uh, kind of a Hollywood depiction? No, there really is a connection. We look at it as some people call it a silver cord. Some people just look at it as white light because it grounds you to your physical body. Some people have a misconception, and they think that if they're going out of body, they can die because the cord can be cut or tangled on something and ripped. And there's really no such thing because everything's energy. So if it's energy, as an example, you're going out of body and you're going somewhere uh, where you have to go out of your house, which means you went through the wall, right? right? There's absolutely nothing physical that can get in your way. Everything is energy, so you're an energy being. If you can go through a wall, logically, you're not going to get tangled into anything. Right. But but is is your astral body... Literally flying through the air to another location, or is this happening in the mind? I mean, you're still seeing things in remote locations, or you're still, you're still, uh, let's say you're you're in your, your apartment in New York. In with your mind, you're traveling to Fort Lauderdale, but is, or is your or is, is your astral travel literally flying from New York to Fort Lauderdale? Okay, well. Personally, this is what I find is a difference. If I'm going out of body, 
if I'm going out of body, it's a different sensation. You actually know that you're not in your physical body. Part of it is, when we do it consciously, part of it is that we make sure we don't have any noise. We shut the phones off. We close the doors. Because anytime there's a noise like a phone ringing, it'll just snap you right back into your body. And when that happens quickly, you can be out of alignment, which means for you to actually be 100% back exactly where you should be in your physical body might take another couple of minutes as an example, which just means you might get dizzy, uh, things might be a little bit fuzzy, you know, you might get a little nauseous because you realign too quickly. Right. Okay. So it's a totally different sensation. And when you're out of body, personally, and everybody doesn't have the same experience. Personally, I find if I think of somewhere, I'm just there. It's not a matter of traveling. It's just one minute I'm here and the next minute I'm there. You know, I actually wrote an article years ago on um, astral travel. And kidding around, because some of us have a warped sense of humor, I sent in the article and I named it How to Travel Without Luggage. <laughs> and I was sure they were going to call me up and say, give it a real title, and they printed it like that. <laughs> there you go. Yes, I'm the same way. I only yeah. take carry-on. Are you, yeah. al- are you allowed carry-on when you astral travel? <laughs> yeah. Now, the funny part is if I'm doing something like remote viewing, okay, then, first of all, you would prepare differently, but part of it is automatic writing with me. You know, again, everybody isn't the same, but um, sometimes I'll just do automatic writing where I'm getting information about a place or a person or a situation, okay, and with remote viewing, I will see, um, I will see something, but I know I'm not there. I don't feel like I'm there. I know I'm in my physical body. Uh, it's more seeing it with clairvoyant sight, you know, right. with third eye vision, right. not where you feel like there's any separation. But and technically what people don't realize is it's not that our spirit is in our physical body. It's actually the reverse. Our physical body is inside our spiritual body because when you think of your aura, your energy field, yes. you know, people are always noticing that it's outside of their body, usually a couple of inches out, sometimes a couple of feet because... It varies according to your mood and your health and your analytical process, so it'll shift. And that's really you. So it's actually, um, our physical body is actually inside there. Hmm. When you remote view or when you astral travel, are you able to uh, interact with your environment uh, or is it like looking at a painting or, or a photograph? I personally haven't been able to affect anything on the physical plane. Now, I don't know about other people, honestly, and I've been doing this all my life, and I find that uh, I can see things. Um, I can interact on the astral realm with anything or anyone on the astral realm, okay? because then you can communicate, and it's a different type of connection. But I find that I haven't been able to affect anything on the physical plane. Ah, interesting. It's personally. Because that was leading me into an area, and I don't know if this is something that you get into, but um, mm-hmm. and that has to do with bilocation. There were supposedly, uh, you know, uh, Buddhist monks that were able to uh, bilocate. There, there are accounts of, of saints in the Christian faith who were able mm-hmm. to be in, in, to bilocate, and I'm wondering whether that was astral travel or, or something else. I, uh, I personally look at it as it's astral travel, mm-hmm. but when you're... On the astral plane, some people, not me, by the way, I would love to say I uh, can do it, 
but I'd be lying. <laughs> so some people, though, uh, are so focused, and they've been doing just that for so many years that they can actually make the body um, more visual or more physical because we do have ectoplasm, all of us. So we, it's a form of hardening your ectoplasm. Interesting. So it looks like you're physically in a different place. Right. And, and in those cases where, where people uh, will report a saint or one of these Buddhist monks bilocating, they actually, there are witnesses who have seen them uh, and they've been in two different places at the same time. Right. Remarkable. Mm-hmm. Maria Dandria is uh, with us, internationally known professional psychic. Uh, she's also um, into astral travel. Uh, she does uh, rune casting as a form of divination. Uh, she's a shaman, an interfaith minister, and the author of a number of books, including 100% Positive Spells and Incantations for Aladdin's Magic Lamp. Uh, we were talking about the evil eye earlier, but there are other types of, of uh, curses and so forth. Uh, that someone with ill intent um, uh, can um, can cast in our direction. Uh, is there a way of knowing whether or not? I'll, I'll I'll throw this out to you now, but we'll we'll come back. I'll get you to answer. It. We're going into a break, but I want to find out whether there's a way of knowing you are under some sort of spiritual attack. I mean, how do you decide whether a headache is just a change in the barometric pressure or whether you are being cursed? We'll find out in a moment when Maria Dandria joins us on the other side, literally and figuratively, right here on The Conspiracy Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Loose lips sink ships, and sometimes corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Maria Dandria stays with us internationally known professional psychic, shaman. And uh, we are talking about uh, a number of things, including astral travel, uh, curses. I want to come back to curses. And uh, mm-hmm. how can you tell whether you are under some sort of spiritual attack? Uh, let's say, for example, um, you know, I have a headache. How do I know mm-hmm. that that's not just a change in the barometric pressure or, an, or some sort of a sinus condition versus the fact that I'm being you know, cursed or attacked spiritually? Okay, well, actually, there's a couple of ways you can tell. One of the easiest ways is if somebody uses whatever their form is for psychic self-defense. If you're using self-defense, you would pick up as an example a negative feeling, such as the headache, but it would leave within 15 minutes the longest, okay? Because basically, you're under protection. So then you know it is not your headache. The other thing is that if you're under attack, you literally feel it first in the weakest part of your physical body. So as an example, say the weakest part of your body is your wrist. Okay. If you're under attack, that's the first thing, that's the first part, rather, of your body that's going to have a problem. You know, you'll feel like you have a pulled muscle, it'll hurt, but it won't have a logical reason. Uh, also, emotionally, as an example, say if your life is going great, There really isn't anything that's extreme that just happened, and all of a sudden you're depressed for no reason. That's usually an attack. If you had something happen, like say somebody went bankrupt, 
Of course they're going to be upset. <laughs> yeah. Right, but right. If out of your norm, then there's something wrong. Okay. Some people get migraine headaches normally. It would not be an attack. Sure. If you never get a headache and all of a sudden you get one without a reason, you know, like, uh, you know, you didn't have an extreme cold as an example that brought it on. You know, if, you, if it's just out of your norm, okay, then I would look into carrying something that's protection. All right. Or so, do a protection prayer. So uh, then again, if if you have a sudden headache and you want to determine whether it's a spiritual attack or whether it's just a normal headache, if you if you say the the spiritual protection prayer and it goes away, you know you were under attack. What is? Can you can you share with us some spiritual self defense? Okay. Well, actually, there are a couple of different forms. So I teach a heavier level only because. I teach more the paranormal and the psychic, so it, you need to be safer on the other realm. But what I find is the easiest form that really works that anybody can use. As an example, uh, if you do something very easy, like, um, Lord, protect me, okay? If you're just very focused and you really mean it from your heart when you say it, it's going to work. Now, you need to say the name of your source. I happen to say God or Lord. You need to use your own terminology for whatever you normally use as your term, okay? So as an example, when I'm working with some of my friends that are Native American, they do Mother Earth, Father Sky. They're not going to use the word God, you know, not that it doesn't equate to the same source, but you have to use the terminology that you connect to or it just won't resonate and work for you. And then when you're adding um, protect me, you're saying to your source, this is what I want done. However, even though we call it a prayer, technically it's not, because it's a command. You're not asking. If you're doing something in prayer where you're really doing a request, uh, the same as if you ask a friend to go to the store for you, they can either go yes or no. (laughs) Right, right. If you're saying it as a fact, like two and two is four, okay, you're making a statement, it's a command, so you're telling your source, this is what I want done. All right. So, it's more so for example, I, I use the I use the the, the Jesus prayer, uh, and right. and I say it in Greek. Mm-hmm. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me, a sinner. That's the Jesus prayer. So, is that an right. example of what you're talking about? No. No. <laughs> All right. Is, well, no, no. That prayer is wonderful. And by the way, I like that that one also. Okay, but it's not for protection. Okay, so you have to be very specific. You know, when you call on your source, that you need, you're calling on your source specifically to protect you in this situation or at this time. All right. So, so you have just to have that word in there for protection. All right. You, you have, have to have the word protection in there. So, prayer and add it in. I see. So, yeah. Lord Jesus Christ, protect me, for example, or Lord, right. protect me. All but, right. That well, is. You a... can do the prayer you just did and then put that at the end. Ah. I see. You know, okay. added on is protection. Right, right. But it has to be in there somewhere. Fair enough. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've also heard, now this is um, this is a little different, this approach, but I've been told if you happen to know the identity of the person that is waging this spiritual warfare against you or, or cursing you, that you, mm-hmm. can, you can take a photograph of that person uh, put it in a plastic bag and put it in the freezer, and that will bind them. Is there any truth to that? Well, it neutralizes the person's energy so they can't send anything towards you that's negative. 
it neutralizes the vibration. Uh, but you have to be careful with that. Well, this is what happens. Say uh, you feel like you're under attack. Okay, things are going wrong in your life, and there's no logical reason for it. Okay, uh, if you do that, then what if it's the wrong person? Now, it's not going to hurt the person. The worst thing that'll happen is if you're wrong, nothing will happen because you're neutralizing the energy. You're not sending anything negative. You're not doing anything negative. Okay, but it might be the wrong person. So that's why we want to use something as an example as a tiger's eye because that's a boomerang. It'll send back to whoever, and it could be more than one person. What I would suggest instead is if you're going to use that uh, the technique with the freezer, what I would suggest is put whoever is harming me or whoever is wishing me negative energy because then it'll go back to whoever is causing it. Or it, and sometimes it can be more than one person. You may not be aware of it. Then it just goes back to whoever's sending negative energy. All right, Maria, hold on. We'll come back and uh, continue this conversation. Maria D'Andrea, we're talking positive spells and incantations. And perhaps well, we can get around to uh, angel spells and miracle candle spells in the time that remains. Stay with us here on The Conspiracy Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. Maria Dandria stays with us psychic shaman interfaith minister and uh, i want to ask you about angel spells um now are we talking about guardian angels or are we talking about you know archangels what are we talking about here who do you who are you who or what are you communicating with through angel spells well, actually, it's totally non-limited because there are so many types of angels or hierarchies. So as an example, if you were doing uh, something with calling in, let's see, like Archangel uh, Metatron, okay, that Archangel connects to liberation. So you have to know what the purpose is of each angel that you're calling in. And the reason is that's really angels really have specific jobs when you're talking to, about Archangels. So as an example, if you're dealing with Metatron, which is uh, liberation, you know, as an example, um, also connecting to whirlwinds, what happens is that you're calling an angel in and you're saying, okay, I need uh, business or finance to pick up or uh, my love life to pick up, okay? Metatron's going to go, you want me to do what? Because there's no connection. It's not the right job. So they have specific purposes and specific jobs. So Is there a yellow pages then for angels so that you can Actually, tell? There should be. <laughs> uh, I have some listed, and I'm sure that if now we're, we're Googling everybody, <laughs> I'm sure there's something on there with different names. Um, my book has, uh, you know, a number of names and what they do and how to call them in and what to do to work with them to create positive situations or to get rid of negative situations in your life in a positive way. I find that people are making a mistake nowadays that they're not aware of. So I like to warn people a little bit. 
what happens a lot of times is people are just calling in angels. You know how everybody went through a phase where everybody's focused on they're just calling in angels. You can't do that. What people don't realize is if you're calling in an angel and you're not calling an angel by name, or if you're not asking for a positive angel, okay, there are fallen angels. You really don't know what you're oh, getting. Oh, that's right. Yes, there are legions of them. But so if you're calling in an angel and you get a fallen angel by mistake, things are going to start going wrong in your life. You're not going to connect it to the angel because you're thinking it's positive. You're going to call it in again, and it's going to escalate. You know, eventually, you know, <laughs> hopefully that uh, you find some way to cancel that out. But you really can't call in angels in general. You really have to look at it as you're either calling in a positive angel. And a lot of times, if you don't know a name, you can call it in a positive angel for the purpose of, and then specify your purpose. You know, financial gain, business opportunities, uh, to connect better to your boss, to a relationship, to your family. But you have to give it a specific purpose then, because, again, they have different jobs. And do, do angels... Uh, warding off evil as an example, okay? Uh, that's uh, Uniel, U-N-A-E-L, that's the angel. And that helps protect you. So if you're doing love magic, it would be the angel and the rod. So there are different ones for different reasons. And then, of course, there are formulas or spells that we, we can do to uh, gain control and to bring them in. How did well, you learn these? Are, how did you learn the names of the different angels, Maria, and their job descriptions? How did this come to you? Actually, uh, I do through meditation. Now, I, I've been doing this all my life, so <laughs> eventually, you tend to learn a lot of different things in a lifetime. Sure. But I've always been psychic, so uh, when I started going to grade school, I realized everybody didn't see spirits and people that passed away. So I just learned not to talk about it. Then I got to high school and I went, I don't care. <laughs> right, right. So do, do, do these angels um, make their make themselves known to you? Can you see them? Uh, well, sometimes I've seen them. Sometimes I just feel a presence in the room. And the only way I can explain it is that you just know. And I really feel that everybody's psychic on some level because it's a survival instinct. And we've all had that experience where, as an example, and I'm sure you've had this, where you meet somebody for the first time in the first couple of seconds, you either like them or you don't. And there's not a logical reason for it. Okay. Right. When you get that feeling, it's 100% accurate every single time. Okay. We just need to pay attention to it and trust it. What happens a lot of times is people go, oh, they didn't give me a reason to feel off about them, so I'm going to be... Uh, I'm going to be trying harder to be positive towards them. They didn't do anything. And then a year or so later, they get ripped off <laughs> or lied to. Or, you know, it's a warning system. Or if somebody's very cranky and negative and you get a good feeling about the person, you're seeing past their defenses, you're seeing heart to heart. So what we're doing is picking up truth at that point. It just takes a while to get used to really trusting it. And the best way... I can think of to trust it is to recognize that that information is not coming from you. It's coming from a divine source. Ah, so yeah. there, when we say, you know, listen to that, listen to your inner voice, it's not your inner voice, it's an angel looking out for you. Yeah, or it's your source. There's, there's a lot of different um, sources of information. Sometimes it can be a spirit guide, sometimes it can be uh, 
a guide that's never been in physical body. It can be a relative that passed away. People don't think about it like this, uh, except, well, in Greece and in Europe, they where they talk about ancestors. When we connect to ancestors, uh, that includes our parents if they passed. They always think of ancestors as way, way, way back. No, it's anybody in your lineage that already passed. So sometimes it's somebody that passed away that's helping you. Well, I... People, I, I, I used to um, say this only half-jokingly, but sometimes when I pull mm-hmm. into a parking lot, I'll ask, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a busy parking lot, I, uh, mm-hmm. I ask my, my late father who, who died over 30 years ago, I said, Dad, help me find a parking spot. And actually, you know, eight out of ten times, I'd say, 80% of the time, even in a busy parking lot, I get the sense, do I turn right, do I turn left? I'll find that empty spot. Exactly, because you're really getting help. What people don't realize is we can ask for help a lot more than people realize. They think that we have to ask about something extreme. And no, I I do that for parking spots. Do you? (laughs) Which angel is responsible for parking spots? You know what I do? I just go, I want a parking angel now. A (laughs) parking angel. (laughs) A parking angel. It doesn't matter what you call it. That would be sort of the lower order of angels, I would say, that's responsible for the parking spots, right? Sure. (laughs) You got to start somewhere. Because when you're looking at uh, archangels, you know, archangels, their jobs are really for the community, for the country, for the world, where when you're just calling in other angels, they're more personal. Now, when you're calling in an archangel, they'll still come, but that's not technically their job. So this was funny. I I was uh, writing that book on the angel spells, and uh, one of the gentlemen, Bishop Alan Green, um, Greenfield, actually wrote a little something in there, okay? And he was on a radio show. Actually, it's documented. He was on a radio show in 2015. And like I said, he also contributed to the book. And I put in an invocation to the Archangel Metatron, who connects to, like I said, liberation and the whirlwind. (laughs) And on the air, on the show called Ground Zero, uh, I think it was Clive Lewis. Yes. He read my spell and he called it in. And the next day, the roof of the radio station blew off. (laughs) Oh, my word. Now, nobody was hurt. But I personally think the angel had a good laugh. (laughs) Those were the whirlwinds, all right. Uh, So you have to kind of watch how you're calling calling anything in. (laughs) Uh, I want to ask you about candle spells. How does that work? Okay. Well, that's vibrational. So when you're working with candles, it deals with a lot of different elements. It deals with the element of fire. So as an example, uh, with nature spirits and elementals, it connects to uh, the salamander, which is the king of the fire element. Okay. So you're calling in literally on more than one level, whether you're doing it consciously or not. So you're dealing with the energy of fire. So you're also dealing with colors because each color has a different vibrational effect and a different magnetic field. When you say a different color, you mean a different color candle? Different color candle. Okay. So as an example, if you're using uh, a yellow candle, yellow is for joy, happiness, intellect. So if you're going to study something or teach... That's a good color to burn because it's going to change the vibration to heighten that for you, that ability. If you're looking for, as an example, uh, something on a mundane level and you're looking for property, real estate, uh, you're dealing with the courts, you would use a brown candle. 
Now, some of the cannabis colors are a little difficult to find. What people just don't think about is that you can just paint a white candle. It's still the same vibration. And do you have to burn it down completely? The color. Do you have to burn it down completely for the spell to work? It depends on what spell you're using, but usually yes. And anytime you throw out a candle when you're done, you always throw it away outside of the building or your home. And the reason is if you're throwing it away inside your home, you're just canceling the spell. Oh, that's so interesting. If you're it away, it's like if you're in an apartment building and you throw it into, say, a garbage can in the hallway, it's still not in your apartment. It's not in your home. Right, but, right. So you're putting it out to the universe to work. Interesting. I guess we should be careful about the color candles on our birthday cake, really. <laughs> no, I'm not I'm not kidding. I mean, you, you no, know. No, I know. I, I think of that sometimes with, with uh, well, I have two adult sons who are in uh, very analytical businesses, but they both read. <laughs> yeah. All right. And, you know, and it's funny because one of my sons was saying once, uh, you know, I put different colors in their rooms depending on what they were going through and for different purposes. And he was an adult, and he said, you know, I just realized what colors you were putting in my room and why. <laughs> there you go. You know, you're trying to help. And if, if you were looking uh, to increase, um, you know, good fortune, uh, what, what kind of, what color candle would you burn? Either orange or green. Orange or green. Orange is my favorite color. So then you Me burn too. an orange. I love yellow. And you burn an orange candle, and then what do you do? Okay. Well, basically, anytime you're doing uh, spell work with candles, sometimes it gets a little bit more complicated. But the easiest way anybody can do it is on a piece of paper, you need white paper, black ink. The reason white paper is because it keeps it positive and it's connected to the light. And black ink because black is power. It isn't negativity. It's just willpower and power. So you write down exactly what you want in a positive way. I always tell people... At the beginning of whatever you're going to write, I always put this or better, because what if there's something better coming in and you didn't think of it? I always put through divine power or whatever the name of your source is, because that keeps it positive. And you, I always put in a perfect way. And the reason is you want it coming in where it's positive for you, but it's not harming anybody accidentally. All right. So this, this or better, this or better with a divine mm-hmm. power, and what was the last thing? In a perfect way. In a perfect way. And then do you burn that in the candle? No, what you do is you put it underneath the candle and you light the candle. When the candle goes out, you will still have the paper there usually because the candle doesn't go all the way out. Right. There's always some you left. And then you take that and you throw it away outside your home. There you go. You can either bury it. You can either bury it or just throw it away. All right. Because it's still interesting. Maria, thank you so much for hanging out with the last uh, for the last hour with us. I really enjoyed our conversation. And thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun, and you're a wonderful host. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Maria. All the best. One hundred percent positive spells and incantations for Aladdin's magic lamp. That's Maria Dandria. All right, my thanks to Nathaniel, Albert, Ryan. Back next week with a brand new program. Hope you'll be along for that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.